Hi, I'm Mike David, and my thoughts and opinions are my own, and not a representation of the Movie Rose community, its sponsors, or its brands. Guess who's Bizak? Thank you so much for still downloading the show. I'm your host, Mike David, and this is The Commando. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to episode five of The Commando. We're back, baby. We're back. Don't mind the little Shavkat-ish hat I have on. Something, just something small. You, you may see this come back in a different way, but it's something small. If you are looking at the shirt and saying you wore this on another episode, hey, guess what? This is one of my favorite sweaters, and you may see this on multiple episodes. So no, these are not recorded multiple times in a day. These episodes are recorded weekly, but I love this sweater. So you may see it again. You may see it in a different color. I have different colors. Um, I don't have that many left because my daughter, she's almost 18, but she likes to take my sweaters, especially my one-of-one sweaters. Any dads out there can actually dads, husbands, boyfriends, whatever. If you have kids or um, women that like to take your clothes, especially your favorite like sweaters and hoodies and stuff, she likes to cut them into crop tops. Which is, I mean, for a girl, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, a hoodie crop top. But when it's one of my favorite one of one hoodies that you will not see anywhere else, you will not. You won't see this sweater anywhere else. Guaranteed. Well, I'm not going to say guaranteed. This particular one may not be a one of one. It's not mine. But we're getting the sweaters. We're supposed to be getting an MMA. This is an MMA show. And the crazy thing about this week is this is one of the, or should be, the most explosive UFC this year. As far as the card goes, there may be some some bangers that may turn out to be um, fights of the year. And if it was to happen, it would happen on this card. Now, last episode, if you watched episode four, we came off, well, I came off a, a glorious hiatus. And if you were looking for the show companion and didn't find it, it wasn't out there. It, it, it didn't go up because we had some technical difficulties on the website side. So. My bad, my fault. I take the, uh, the blame for that one. Um, I am working on some DNS stuff. So if you are looking forward to the show companion, um, it's something big for me to kind of stand out from all the other millions of shows and podcasts there are out there. But this is something that will grow and develop into something totally different. So I want to get it right the first time around. Um, we are still working on the show companion. Got to work out some DNS stuff with my website and another website. And once we're up and going, you guys should be able to view a very comprehensive, um, I don't know how else to state this, embodiment of the, of the show and what, our, you know, what the show is basically around. So it would involve the show, the companion, the sponsors, all that other good stuff. But anyways, let's get into this week of the commando i'm already going on crazy small tangents but let's get to this this week of the commando this week i'm gonna call it the i'm gonna get you sucker episode 
I'm gonna get you, sucker. Dirty mother sh Listen, if you haven't seen I'm gonna get you, sucker. Now, my, this is get. G-I-T. I'm gonna get you, sucker. From the 1988. It is, I believe, I did some small research. This may be the first and best Wayne's Brother movie. If you're not familiar with the Wayne's Brothers, um, black comedic family that makes parody movies based on the current era they're in. So I'm going to get you suckers basically based on 1988 tropes and just cliches that were happening around that time uh, as far as the world is concerned and whatever social commentary was happening around that time. That's what these movies like to do. Anyways, going on these tangents again. I'm going to get you suckers. Probably one of the best movies, as I just said, not just for the Wayne's brothers, but I mean, in general, it's a hilarious movie. Now there's skits in there. Well, not skits, but there's certain scenes in there that do carry over to later Wayne's brothers movies. But let's just go over a couple of them just for now. But as far as the theme for this week, this is the perfect type of movie that I, I watched. Um, it's got so many political undernotes in the movie. Again, it's a, it is a comedy. It's a, it's a far out there comedy. There's a lot of wild shit in this movie. Um, so viewer discretion, I don't think anything gets too nasty. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think there's too much of a viewer discretion advised, but it's a good movie. I'm an eighties baby. So this movie coming out in 88, I, I don't know if I knew anything better. Me as an adult going back and watching it, the movie is definitely still holds up. Anyways. To get into the intro of this episode, if you haven't yet, I don't know what you might be waiting for, but hello. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe, and all that other good shit, just so you can know when this show hits. And if you don't like this show, you should subscribe as well so you know when the show hits. <laughs> now, um... I wanted to get into some of these scenes and why this movie kind of correlates with this week. If you haven't been, if you're not a consumer of all MMA media like I am, and I'm not going to say all in the sense of I try to look for the most obscure piece of information out there. I may take this off soon. This shit's getting hot. Um, but a lot of dirty stuff is going on in MMA media, and we're going to go over a couple of those topics. Now, I'm not going to get into gossip on this show, but a juicy little tidbit that's been circling the internet regarding a reporter for the UFC, and one of the coaches used to be a fighter um, in the UFC, which is, this person's already under a weird eye from the MMA community because of the other story. That's in this, this, this week's topics as far as the MMA community having the what the fuck is going on face that we're going to get into all that. I know I'm beating around the bush, but I'm kind of saving it for a little bit, a little bit later. But this is why I picked 
I'm going to get you sucker as the backdrop for this week's episode. Man, this week is crazy. Let's get into it. Now, as far as the movie, movie is concerned, we're going to get into some MMA. But the first scene I want to bring up, if you haven't seen this movie, is called, it's the Hood Olympics. It's, <laughs> it's bizarre. It, again, this goes around a lot of stuff that was happening back in the day in the news. And um, it's a lot of cultural issues. But the Hood Olympics is basically how quickly a gang, you know, with a referee and a stopwatch, how quickly a gang can strip a car. Like, that's the Hood Olympics. How quickly, uh, let's say, two suspects are getting away with a TV or a stereo. Like, how fast they can run with a stereo in their hand. These are the type of Hood Olympic games that happen in this scene. And as far as racism, because racism is a big thing right now. Racism is huge right now as far as the world is concerned. There's a lot of wars going on that are kind of based around racism. But I say all that to say the scene, regardless of whatever race you are, black, white, other, it's fucking hilarious. A lot of these scenes on this, in this movie, hilarious. One of the first movies to kind of do these type of scenes. And I, I don't want to say it's a black exploitation movie, but kind of from the same genre, if you understand what I'm saying. We're going to get into some more scenes later. Let's get into some MMA. So we already talked about the show Companion and how that should be popping up in the next couple of days. Um, and it will show episode four, show Companion, and this episode, episode five, show Companion. Um, that goes along with our fighter cards and main event, pick stuff like that. Some of the stuff may be dated when it comes out, especially, especially episode four, but some... For the most part, the information has been updated on the fighter cards. Um, and as always, and especially this week, shout out to our sponsor, Stadium, a sport odyssey. Now, this is a tabletop sports game sponsor. If you're sitting at home and if you're not going anywhere or if you are going to visit somebody for these holiday these holidays coming up, we got Thanksgiving coming up, we got Christmas coming up, and then whatever religion you may be faithful to, we may have some different holidays coming up. I don't do the Kwanzas and all that other good stuff, but hey, um, you got to get them stadium. It is a two-player, again, strategy board game where two coaches go head-to-head -head in a futuristic battle. You get your own teams, you get abilities. I mean, this card game is, it's thorough. It's thorough. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about Stadium uh, this episode and in other episodes, but if you're looking at the show companion now, or if you're just watching this episode on YouTube, obviously this is not for the audio people, you can see how you can follow Stadium. You can go to stadiumasportodyssey.com check out their reviews, check out their videos. Man, they, a new season should be coming up soon. Uh, they have card packs always coming out or 
once the card packs do start hitting, you're going to make sure you're on board. So when they are always coming out, that you, you get your pick. Again, that's stadium, a sport odyssey.com. All right, let's get into some recap for UFC. Lemo, uh, I think it was Rodriguez versus Lemos. Now, I'm going to get into some prelim fights, some prelim notables, and some main event notables. Um, Some of the stuff we may not dive too much into, but just giving you the overall for last week's prelims. So, let's check out Pollyanna. If you don't know who, I think her name is Pollyanna Viana. I may be getting that wrong. But, two things. She did win her fight, and actually, let's go ahead and pull up this fight real quick so I can give you guys all the juicy tidbits. But Pollyanna was in the, let's see, she's been in the news or social media news, because it's not the same news, obviously. She's been in social media news and news for two different reasons. One, supposedly a man tried to break into her house or a man was inside her home um, when she had returned home one night, and she supposedly beat the dog shit out of the dude. And you can go online and see very, very bloody pictures, or the guy is bruised and bloody. I guess he didn't know he was breaking into a UFC fighter's home, and maybe the fact that maybe he did know, and her being a woman, maybe he thought he can get the best of her? Nah. Uh, she, she showed him something a little bit different, and she showed her opponent something a little different that same week. Let's see who she faced off against. So Pollyanna Viana went against Gina Yafrey. And I think this was a first-round TKO. In a, in a glorf, this was a beautiful first-round TKO. Now, that's not the reason I brought up this fight. That's not the reason I brought up Pollyanna. The initial reason, and again, I'm saying this because this, is, this has been a very weird week as far as MMA and um, information is concerned, but Pollyanna sent a tweet before she was banned uh, and then reinstated. Um, I guess she, had a, she has or had, had an ongoing relationship with Coven Covington. I don't, I don't know the tidbits on this, but she posted a tweet about and I'm going to get, this is, you know, a little listener and viewer discretion that Kobe asked her to put several fingers in his hind parts and she declined and then Kobe got mad. Um, as far as everything that's going on with Kobe Covington and Jorge Mavidal and all, and that whole thing that broke out earlier this year and then now this, it's it's just wild. It's just wild. One, it shows you that these fighters are human and they go through some of the same shit that we go through as far as gossip, scandal. I mean, how many times have you heard about something happening at work with two coworkers? Now, this has nothing to do with a whole nother story that we're going to get into regarding relationships with people within the UFC. But that one stood out to me because it was pretty hilarious. Pretty funny also because Kobe Covington, I don't think he's been making a peep lately 
in social media or in the news. Ever since the incident that happened between him and George, um, nothing has been heard from Kobe Covington. Now, if you're listening to this show, and again, I know I have a lot of fans that are not MMA fans, and they're listening to the show for several different reasons. Maybe you're trying to become an MMA fan. If you don't know what happened between Kobe Covington and George Masvidal, which kind of brings this story to a head, and why this story is important to me at least, and to the MMA community, Kobe Covington is a very mouthy MMA fighter who said some very, um, I would say, out of the box. When it, when, it, when it comes to trying to promote a fight, he said some very out of the box things regarding George Malvidal and George's family, which supposedly um, led Masvidal, Malvidal to, obviously he, he lost the fight to Covington. They, they fought each other. They used to be friends, used to be best buds. Uh, Fought each other, Masvidal lost, Kobe went out and did Kobe things, wrestled him, and, you know, got a couple of clean shots in there. Um, I guess George didn't feel like he got out of his system whatever he needed to get out of his system regarding Kobe Covington, and found him in a restaurant one night. Um, I don't know if he so much sucker punched him as he may have assaulted him just you know in, in the basic sense of what happened and kobe has been pressing charges or had has pressed charges and should be going to court anytime soon um regarding his case against masvidal now being two mma fighters and another mma fighter pressing charges on a co it, it's craziness I don't know if this is the first story of two MMA fighters getting into an altercation outside the octagon and then it leading to the courtroom, but this may be the first instance of a full-blown conviction. And if George gets convicted for assaulting Kobe Covington outside of the octagon, I mean, anyways, anyways, I get it in all that to say, Kobe Covington has been almost radio silent since his fight or since the incident with George Masvidal. Now Pollyanna is talking about putting fingers in his, in his ass in Kobe's buttocks. Crazy business. Moving on. Small tidbits, small little juicy tidbits. But moving on, this is why this week is so dirty. This is why this week is so dirty. Now, Tamara's Vidal. Tamara's Vidal last week, Rodriguez versus Lemos, fight night. She was the opener for the prelims. Now, I used, I, I for the most part watch every fight that I can. If time permits, um, if I'm really into the card, I will, if I start it late, I will rewind and watch the prelims and try to catch up to the main event by the time the main event happens. I don't know if anybody else does this, but I did catch the first fight of the night, and it was Tamara's Vidal versus Ramona Pascal. Pasquale. And man, it was a very entertaining fight. They were going back and forth. Until Vidal hit Pasquale with two 
or at least I think it was two knees to the body. But the one that put her down was a jumping switch knee that hit her right in the body, right in the sternum. And it folded her. Now, I at, for a second, she, she was trying to fight back just to um, save herself, just to not get you know, more damage put on her. But the ref knew it was done, and she knew she was done. And as soon as the ref, ref stopped the match, you can see the relief, but she had to deal with the pain of that knee, and she dropped. She, she dropped to her knees, and she, she, she dealt with the pain. But beautiful switch knee from Vidal, starting off the night with a body TKO. Now let's move on to um, just a note. I'm not going to move on to the fight. He did lose the fight, but I wanted to move on to Nate Manus. Um, let's see who he fought that. Let's see who he fought last week. Nate Manus going against Tagir. Udenbekov, another wrestler, but that's not what I want to bring up. What I want to bring up was I have an issue with weight cutting, and not that I personally have an issue with getting down to weight, duh, I'm not a UFC fighter, um, but I have an issue with fighters who cut too much weight. I have an issue with fighters who break their body down so much just to be elite or be able to compete in a lower weight class. Now, of course, uh, I don't want to say of course, but my belief is most fighters cut weight, period. Five pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 55 pounds. We've seen some pretty drastic cuts. But the way Manus, Nate Manus looked in his weight cut, you can kind of see why some people miss weight cuts. You can kind of see why people, some people, some fighters, stop cutting weight. Nate Manus's pitcher, he looks like a skeleton that is trying to rehydrate. Uh, that's the best way I can put it. If I get a chance, best effort, I will put the link. If I can, I got to find this, this image online. I believe Nate Manus is the one who posted it. So if I find his social media account, I'll make sure I link it in the episode details below. Maybe you've seen this picture online. It is a scary picture. For anyone who cuts weight, it is a scary picture. Up next, let's get into Grant Dawson versus Marco Madsen. This fight was what I kind of expected. And then... It wasn't what I expected from Marco Madsen. It, it was exactly what I expected from Grant Dawson. I expected Grant Dawson to go in there and wrestle him. I didn't expect Grant Dawson's wrestling to be that much better than Marco Madsen's. It was light years better than Marco Madsen's. It seemed like Marco Madsen, being for a wrestler, and I understand there's two different wrestling styles or two different ground styles. Should I say? But Marco Madsen hadn't. It's hard to say this uh, about a fighter, but he, he looked like a fish out of water on the ground. It's hard to say this about a fighter who wrestles. Um, when Grant Dawson got Marco Madsen to the ground, 
some of the things I remember about that match is Marco Madsen wasn't using his legs really to transition out of, um, I don't know, out of being controlled on the ground. And the best way I can sum it up, he looked like a fish out of water. I, I don't know much more to say. I, I don't want to sit here and say I was d- disappointed in Marco Madsen. I had no money on him, and I wasn't looking at as him as a favorite to win per se. I thought he could win, and on this, as far as stand up goes, shit. At least being able to prevent enough takedowns to make Grant Dawson stand with him. When Grant Dawson got him to the ground, it was, it was murder. She wrote. And then Marco Madsen got choked out. Again, something I was looking forward to. It made the fight more interesting, but I did not see Marco Madsen being controlled or dominated in the fashion that he was. Period. Just period. So shout out to Grant Dawson. Let's see who he fights next, though. I just want to look at his division real quick. Now, I believe that was a featherweight fight. Uh, excuse me. That was a lightweight fight. Which, which brings me to the other point that I almost missed. Like Grand Dawson. Grand Dawson missed weight. Um, I can't remember how many, points, uh, how many pounds exactly. But he did miss weight against Marco Madsen. He, he missed it by two pounds. Which... From a fighter's perspective, is a lot. Marco Madsen still went through with the bout, which m- means he agreed to the weight miss. Obviously, got some of Grant Dawson's purse, but he ultimately lost, which means Grant Dawson might have been able to keep a little bit of the juice that he may have given up cutting those extra two pounds. Yeah. Shout out to, uh, Grant Dawson for getting it done. We're going to move on now. I know I was going to look and see who he's fighting next, but I, I, it's a packed division, and Grant Dawson being a wrestler, I'm guessing they're, they may give him, I, I mean, they gave him Marco Madsen. Maybe they might give him another young, they may give him a younger wrestler. Whoever gets Grant Dawson, um, I'm going to say a prayer for you because he, he did make some mistakes, but he, he really put on a show against uh, a very hard, undefeated Marco Madsen. Now let's move in. Let's move on to something that, again, a fight that I wasn't looking forward to at all. And the news or the situation around this fight was very weird because watching the fight, I watched the fight in real time. It was it was it was a very shocking fight in the sense that um now to to actually talk about the fight, I'm gonna murder this dude's name, but it's Minner against Shailin. 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 Anyways, let's talk about it. Derek Minner against and man this dude's last name I, I this is this is going to be a this is going to be a fun one 
Nerdenenbeck, uh, Shailen Nerdenenbeck versus Derek Minner. Now, Derek Minner supposedly went into this fight injured. Beginning of the fight, he throws a leg kick and it looks like he blows out his knee. Something goes wrong with his leg. The crazy part of the fight to me, which I'm, I, I kind of thought at the time, what the fuck are you doing? He throws a leg kick with the same leg kick he looked like he just injured. Which means, and again, I'm not speculating in the sense that this is fraud or this is something that, um, like, this was fraud. I'm not, I'm not speculating that at all. Maybe somebody knew Grant Daw- um, Derek Minner was hurt. But he almost threw the leg kick to ensure that whatever was wrong with his leg uh, was definitively done. And I, it, it was just a weird, it's weird to see someone injure themselves with a particular limb and then throw the limb all over again like nothing happened. It, it's almost like, hey, not only am I hurt, I'm going to make sure I'm hurt and come finish me. That's what the fight looked like. Now I'm stating all this to say Derek Minner is currently or the fight between Derek Minner and Shailene Newton Nerden Bike Nerdenbeck is being investigated because right before the fight between Derek and Shailene, there was a jump in the betting line as Shailene as the favorite betting against Derek Minner. So either these other words kind of swirling around the investigation, but either Derek Minner knew he was injured. And there's another small tidbit I'm going to, you know, attach to this, but Derek, Derek Minner knew he was injured and either had given away the information or someone close to him had given away this information. The other small tidbit connected to Derek Minner is James Krause, who is um, noted as a, how can I say this, a coach that has his own community around betting. And at some point, I believe he has spoken about this, especially on uh, Ariel Hawani's podcast or Ariel Hawani's show. I don't know if he said it this specifically, but James Krause, or at least the people he works with, works with, bets on fights based on James James Krause's team, directive, opinion, um, whatever you want to call his group or discord. Now, again, I am speaking from the information I know that the investigation should be surrounded by. I don't, no facts have come out regarding this situation yet. But it is very, uh, what's the word here? It's very coincidental that James Krause, someone who runs an organization or runs a business based on betting on fighters, even his fighters, fighters he knows about, And then an investigation coming shortly after one of the fighters he works with has this crazy bet in line move hours or minutes before the fight. That's crazy. It sounds like some crazy illegality is going on around this circum uh 
around the situation, around the, the circumstances surrounding this situation. I can't wait to see what the investigation finds. And the other two-parter in this is a couple of weeks before we had someone enter TJ Dillashaw. We had TJ Dillashaw enter a championship fight knowingly injured. He knew he was injured. He went into the fight injured. And it was a, it's kind of like a, I don't want to call it a career ending injury, but something that can very much limit the life of your career if it happens to you, even if you need surgery to repair it. It's something that takes your ability away. The fact that Derek Minner would enter into a fight, and I mean, you see that if you've seen the fight, it ends very quickly. It's just kind of like these fighters need the money. They go into the fight needing the money. I'm saying all that to say, by TJ, not saying TJ Dillashaw is at fault for what Derek Minner did at all, but you may see a huge policy change, if not with the UFC, maybe regarding the sport in general of MMA, where when guys take advantage of being injured and coming into a fight or, you know, messing with betting lines coming into a fight injured, a lot of things cascade off of that. A lot of things change off of that. A lot of people smarten up and say, okay, this can't happen again within our sport because it, it just makes it feel dirty. It, it, to be honest with you, this feels almost boxing scummy. It's not there yet. MMA's not to boxing yet, but as far as scumminess. Um, but this Derek Minner fight and the foulness surrounding his um, injury is very questionable, especially with James Krause in this situation. We may get into a little more James Krause lately. I don't want to shit on the dude, but there's a lot of stuff that's swirling around that dude's name within these last couple of weeks. It's almost like as soon as he started to hit media and social media a little bit more and promote himself a little bit more, all this extra shit started coming out or happening at least. Let's see what we got next on the docket. Let's see. Next, we're going to move up to another fight that I was, I'm not going to say I was wrong about, but it, I will say internally how I felt who was going to win. I was wrong. I did want Daniel Rodriguez to win against Neil Magny, but Neil Magny does what Neil Magny does. And I stated that as well. He went in there and put it together. He put together that triangle offense, the boxing, the clinching, the takedowns, and he submitted Daniel Rodriguez. Of course I was hurt. Daniel Rodriguez did put on a good fight for a time, but Daniel, Daniel Rodriguez was out of his element a bit. He, when I spoke last week about we may see some new things come out of Daniel Rodriguez, I didn't think it would be in the sense of error. And I mean error when he clinched Neil Magny, when he was accepting of being on the ground with Neil Magny. Now, I'm not saying accepting like he wasn't going to do anything about it, like he wasn't trying to do anything about it. But when you go to the ground with somebody or you initi initiate a clinch with someone that you probably shouldn't be initiating a clinch with, those are the new things that I'm speaking about that are in error. Anyways, Neil Magny beats Danny Rodriguez to become, as they stated, the winningest welterweight in UFC history. So shout out to Neil Magny for really putting, to get, putting it together against Daniel Rodriguez. 
and I don't like to, you know, state the same thing other people state, but at this point, yes, let's be honest here. Neil Magny is still a gatekeeper. He's trying to make his way to possibly contend for a title, but hey, there's still some guys in that division who are straight murderers. And he did just get, you know, subbed by Shafkot. So, anyways, not to shit on his win. Shout out to Neil Magny. Moving on. Mm. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of sad. Uh, Danny Rodriguez lost. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll be honest. Moving on to Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Limoche. Now. I was, eh, I was right on this one. If I would ever, if I was ever to bet on these fights, I don't think I would do the parlay. I, I, maybe I'll do a parlay and keep it very general. But if I was to bet on these fights, I would have to do them um, money line by themselves. I would have to. Amanda Lemos has power. She has power. We even saw this against her and Jessica Andrade where Jessica Andrade did not like the power, and as soon as she got a chance to snatch Lemosha's neck, she did. She submitted her. But Marina Rodriguez just didn't... When she got overwhelmed by Amanda Lemosha, she couldn't stop her. She couldn't stop her. And I think uh, Amanda has so much power that once she touches you, she does stun you. If you're not able to keep moving and kind of digest the shots that you're taking at the time of still blocking, which we saw happen to Marina, she was overwhelmed. And then she, she tried to contest the, the stop, the stoppage there. She thought it was an early stoppage. There was no early stoppage there. If at any moment a fighter, and I don't know if there's an official count, uh, maybe there is in some book that the referees are um i don't know there it seems like there's a couple of shots that the referees look for that if unanswered they will stop a fight blocking or not evading or not it seems like if you take about four unanswered shots in uh rapid succession it, it seems like a referee would stop the fight depending on how clean, depending on how uh, debilitating. And now, mind you, I think it was um, one of my favorite referees, uh, Herzog. And he stopped the fight. And obviously, he's closer than the fighters themselves to each other. He's closer than anyone else to the fighters. And he can hear the shots, right? And I believe it was... I believe the stoppage was necessary to save Rodriguez from herself. She did shell up a little bit, but Lemos wasn't stopping. And if she would have switched it up a little bit more, we might have seen one nasty knockout of Marina Rodriguez. So, Amanda Lemos advances. Advances to, let's see, let's check this out real quick. Because I kind of want to, I want to know who, who she could possibly fight next. And obviously this weekend being a 
major factor in John Wei Lee and Carlos Barza's division. So let's see for a second. Strawweight. So she is from the strawweight division, which is... That is Carlos Barza's division as well. So... Yeah, this is this is a this is an interesting one because let's see where Alexa Gross was at. That's the that's the person that I'm thinking may have a chance to fight Amanda Limoche. So Alexa Grosso might get the next step up against Amanda Limoche. If not. Yeah, I, I maybe a, a, a Manly Mosh gets the winner of the Esparza, uh, Carlos Sparza versus Jean Wee Lee. Not to jump too far ahead, but most people believe um, Jean Wee Lee would, will be the new champion in the strawweight division, which, giving her fighting style, giving her strength and her ability, she may remain there until she gets another fight with Rose. Or if someone as skilled or more skilled than Rose can come in and take that title from Jean Lee, Amanda Lemos, maybe? Maybe? I believe her power would be able to carry. I don't know if she has enough, enough power to carry a five-round fight between her and Jean Lee. Um... I believe Alexa Grasso will have five round, will have the capability to go five rounds with John Wheatley, for sure. Will she have the power to really um, last with John Wheatley for five rounds? I don't know. For Alexa Grasso, I don't know. Getting into too much of the upcoming, but let's finish with what we have. Now, let's go into our notable fighters this week. And if you're not familiar with our fighter card, if you're not familiar with our fighter cards, every week we grab three or more fighters, currently three, three fighters that are noteworthy, three fighters that may or may not have fights coming up soon, um, but definitely three fighters you should be looking at. Three fighters that if you haven't watched a majority of their film, you probably need to go back and chop up some some of these fight films on these guys because these dudes are... There's a path for them in the UFC. And if they can get over some of their hiccups, some of their errors, um, should be champions. If not, just... Dudes who put on spectacular fights, period. So that's what my fighter cards are. They're picks for dudes who are exciting to watch and are super fucking talented. This week's first fighter... Sorry about that. This week's first fighter card, Chris Curtis. What's happening to Chris Curtis? First time I've heard of Chris Curtis, I believe, was PFL. Yes, PFL. 
and Chris Curtis back then, nasty boxer, had a, you know, very hard hitting, gritty boxing style. Chris Curtis, currently 29 and 9, 15 KOs, and he's only been KO'd once. Um, Two subs, been subbed once. 5'10", in the middleweight division. Trains out of Extreme Couture. Nickname, Action Man. Now, let's go over some of his last wins. Actually, yeah, let's go over some of his last wins. His last time out against Jack Hermanson, he couldn't seem to figure Jack Hermanson out. Maybe he thought Jack was going to come out and wrestle him and try to get him to the ground. And do what Jack does. Crazy enough, Chris Curtis had just come off a fight with Rodolfo Vieira, who is a submission specialist, takedown, you know, he, BJJ. Coming off a fight with Rodolfo Vieira, and I don't, I don't know the exact number, but I think Chris Curtis went 20 for 20 as far as uh, takedown defense which is pretty crazy for a boxer. Now, him coming off this fight and then going into a fight with Jack Hermanson, who's basically another submission specialist, who's going to take you to the ground, um, not too much stand-up, totally switched it up on Chris Curtis, and I don't think he planned for it. Jack Hermanson stood up with Chris Curtis, and he couldn't, he, he lost that one. He, he just couldn't figure it out before getting, um, losing by unanimous decision. Again, we already talked about the Rodolfo Vieira fight, which Chris Curtis looked beautiful in, stopping takedowns, uh, throwing punches to the body, really breaking down Rodolfo and owning that match. There were some power shots in there where he owned that fight. He owned every round. Uh, let's go. So. Chris Curtis has a win over Rodolfo Vieira, Brandon Allen, fucking, you know, I love Brandon Allen, uh, Phil Halls, another beast in the middleweight division, uh, Kenny Robertson. Now, Kenny Robertson is in a different organization, but Chris Curtis entered the UFC with, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, on a five-fight win streak. Got three more wins before his first loss in the UFC. His next fight up should be against Joaquin Buckley. Make sure that's correct before I confirm that. But Chris Curtis is that dude. His boxing ability. And obviously I already spoke about his takedown defense. If you're not able to get Chris Curtis on the ground, which is, he's a very stocky dude. So Getting him on the ground or keeping him on the ground, um, obviously two different things. Whatever power you may run into trying to get him to the ground, I think that's the differentiating factor for why he is so good in the middleweight division. Now, mind you, Phil Halls is a wrestler, and he stood up the whole time with him, and that was... If you haven't seen Phil Hall versus Chris Curtis, go find it. Go, go, go find it. Awesome fight. 
awesome finish. So yes, Chris Curtis's next fight is against Joaquin Buckley, who has been an exciting fighter his last couple of outs. Um, hasn't been able to put together a, a dominant win streak, but seems like the competition he's given, uh, speaking as far as Joaquin Buckley, uh, the competition he's given is obviously rising into the upper echelon of the middleweight division. Chris Curtis versus Joaquin Buckley should be, I want to say this is going to be, for me at least, in my opinion, this win will be better for Buckley than it is for Chris Curtis. I think if Buckley gets past Chris Curtis on this one, um, he may find himself in a main event. He may find himself against someone in the top 15 or top 10. Chris Curtis, maybe he gets to start climbing up that ladder again. Now, the loss to Jack Hermanson wasn't that bad, but it was... It was a type of type of fight that tells you you're not ready for the elite of the elite of the division. Chris Curtis looked very frustrated in that fight. Very, very, very disappointing fight. If you are a fan of Chris Curtis, Chris Curtis versus Jack Hermansis is very disappointing. Now, let's get into our next fighter card. We're going to go with... Jack Della Meladelena. Now, Jack Della Meladelena is a welterweight, and he is a beautiful boxer. I almost wish he was in the middleweight division just so we can possibly see a nice battle between Chris Curtis and him. But in the welterweight division, this guy has been putting fools out. And every fight I've seen so far has been 100% entertaining. Let's actually go through his last couple of fights in the UFC. Let me, let, me, let me prove my point to you. So his first fight came in 2021 on Contender Series, where he TKO'd. No, actually, it was a unanimous decision, excuse me. He won by unanimous decision against Ang Lusa. Don't know Anglusa. Don't think he's in the UFC. Let's see. And that's going to be a whopping. Oh, Anglusa is in the UFC now. Okay. So he beat a good contender in Anglusa. His first fight. His first fight on a pay-per-view event was his next fight after contender series. It was against Pete Rodriguez. I don't think they were matched appropriately, and Pete Rodriguez got knocked out. Jack Melalena won by TKO. Jack, Jack's last fight was against a wrestler. He did have a little stumble coming out. Um, he did get wrestled just a little bit, but as soon as he was able to get back to his feet, he put the business on this dude he, he he i mean jack wins by tko so since entering the ufc he's had two pay-per-view events tko dudes on both pay-per-view events this is a pay-per-view guy will he get a fight night maybe maybe he'll get a main event fight night 
Maybe not in his next. Let's actually see if, what he has for his next fight. Because I, I do believe he has a fight coming up. So he has a fight coming up against Danny Roberts. Uh, pay-per-view event. No. He has a fight coming up against Danny Roberts in UFC. Derek Lewis versus Spivak. Sergey Spivak. And they gave... Let's see, one, two, three, four. There's four fights on this main card. They may be adding an additional one. Who knows? Maybe a, a fight was removed. But currently, there's only seven. What? One, two, three, four, five. There's only seven fights on this UFC event. Sounds sketch. Maybe 14 fighters is a lot, but this only seven fights sounds pretty sounds pretty low for UFC. Anyways, they would fight next week. So Jack Delamena, Jack Delamena will be fighting next week. Awesome. I, I, I don't miss Jack fights, period. So let's get into our next fighter card. Our next and last fighter card for this week is going to be the Reaper, Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles. Now, for my middleweight people out there, for my Izzy fans out there, Robert Whitaker had stated in his last fight against Vittori that he was the most dangerous man in the middleweight division. I believe that to be true. Nothing against Izzy, and we're, we're speaking of the danger factor here. Not if you would win or lose or not. But Robert Whitaker is definitely the most dangerous guy in the middleweight division, if not uh, in a couple different divisions. He, he throws with power. He's very precise. He eked out a loss again. Like, it was very slim margins against Adesanya. But when he fights dudes, he injures them. Or they, they, they get injured. And I don't... I can't really remember a fight besides against Adesanya where someone didn't get injured fighting against Robert Whitaker. You got Vittori who, again, if you've seen that fight, if you haven't seen Robert Whitaker versus Vittori, at some point I believe Robert Whitaker breaks Vittori's arm or his hand or whatever, whatever the case, and Vittori never throws that thing again for the rest of the fight. Now, Robert Whitaker also broke, which I believe is the same left hand, of Cannoneer. And Cannoneer is such a beast, he lasted all five rounds with a broken arm. Because I think he broke his arm within the first or second round, which is crazy. Which is crazy. Now, as far as putting on damage on these fools, Robert Whitaker is that guy. His, his, his kicking ability or the power of his kicks to break limbs or even when he head kicks dudes. Head kicked a Calvin Gaslam, glanced off his head. Robert Whitaker not only fights these dudes, wins, but beats the shit out of them to where, it, it, like he said, he, he makes it to where people fighting him, it's just something that, they dread. 
good fight against him and um, who's the guy who's always prone to getting injured? Can't even remember his name anymore. Um, Darren Till. The fight between Whitaker and Darren Till where Till drops him with a, an, um, as Whitaker's coming in, Till drops him with an elbow. They're back and forth between them. And then at some point, Robert Whitaker really puts it on Till to where it just changes the fight. So I understand what he says by he's the most dangerous fighter in the division. And I agree. So shout out to Bobby Knuckles. Shout out to Robert Whitaker. His next fight is against Paula Costa, which it probably is going to be Paula Costa's fight unless Paula Costa comes out and dusts Robert Whitaker. It's a possibility, but I don't see it. Robert Whitaker does very well against um, Paula Costa-esque type individual, uh, individuals, just like Izzy. When you have these brutes, when you have these big, um, I'm not going to call Paula Costa slow, but when you have these big guys who they just want to come in and, and express their power, Izzy and Robert Whitaker, they do wonders against these dudes. Whitaker once went, what was it? I think 10 rounds against Yoel Romero and won both, both fights. Jacare Souza, Whitaker is a beast and he's built for the, uh, the middleweight division. I know he's definitely looking at this week's Pereira versus Adesanya, and he's, he's thinking a lot. I'm pretty sure he's thinking a lot as far as who he wants to win, who he doesn't want to win. I don't think he wants the Adesanya to win. I think he's, he believes he has the ability to run through Alex Pajeda. And I don't know if that statement is true just yet. We're going to get into the details of the Izzy versus Pereira in a little bit, but. I just want to wrap up why Robert Whitaker is our fight card, one of our final fight cards for this week. He is a beast. He is. And he's still, he is a mainstay of the UFC, has been for a long time. And he is a problem for other divisions if he decides to move down or move up to 205. Now, let's get into our last leg of the show. Upcoming. The upcoming fights. For this Saturday, UFC 281, Adesanya versus Pajeda. Now, as always, I only have some notable fights for this card. There's early prelims, there's prelims, and then there's a main event. And there's a lot of fights on this card. Um, opening up on the early prelims, we have Carlos Alberg versus Nikolai Negamaranu. Yeah, I think that's it. Man, I heard uh, Volkanovsky try to pronounce this. He must have pronounced it pretty badly because they just, they, they beeped out the whole, the whole pronunciation. <laughs> he probably said it was like nigga Moranu or something. I mean, come on. He's, he's trying. If you could say Schwarzenegger and nobody beep you, maybe you're saying words before the actual end part, but um, still, it's, come on. That would have been a good little snippet, though, just to, like, circle around the internet. That's smart. That's why you just bleeped it out. Very, very smart. But let's get into Carlos Olberg versus... Carlos Olberg versus Nikolai Negamaranu. I'm probably getting that wrong. So, 
what sticks out to me about this fight. Nikolai against Carlos Alberg. Well, if you're familiar with city kickboxing, you should know that Carlos Alberg runs with that team, the same team as Israel Asanya. And we know if Eugene's in the corner, Eugene's a genius. Eugene Behrman, the head coach for city kickboxing, is a genius. And Carlos Alberg, if he, if he listens, uh, if any of those guys listen, if they're disciplined enough, um, Carlos Alberg within himself should be able to carry the power to beat Nikolai. He has a crazy left hook jab. It's like a, it's like a hybrid of a jab, but he, 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 he counters with enough power that it will knock you out. Um, let's look at the last couple of fights for Carlos and for Nikolai. So coming into the UFC, Alberg lost his, lo- his first fight. And we're not going to get into too much of the, the history of these fighters. It's more so, obviously, what I think is going to happen this go-around at 281. But looking at Alberg's fights, he's only had four fights in the UFC, one loss on UFC 259. Actually, that's actually the same card. Uh, on, that's on, on that same card, Adesanya lost to Blahowicz, which is, it is what it is for City Kickboxing. But what I'm looking at here is strikers. It seems like, just like with any um, kickboxing, kickboxing gym, they're going to be more elite when it comes to striking. And seeing Nikolai's last couple of wins, let's see. Nikolai. Looks like a lot of his his fights are... Okay. So he's fought some of the same people in the light heavyweight division. And Carlos Alberg has a loss to... Um, and Zekaku, man, I, I, Kendrick, is it Kendrick? Kenny? Kenny. And Zekaku. Oh, man, I know I'm murdering that. <laughs> Anyways, these guys have fights against some, some of the same guys. And Nikolai hasn't lost since 2019. So this is definitely going to be a test for... Carlos Alberg. Obviously, he's starting to get uh, bigger and better dudes within that division. After Nikolai, we may see him starting to get a push to that top 15 or more ranked, higher ranked opponents. Um, so, shout out to Carlos Alberg on this one. I think he's going to have the style to go against Nikolai, who was a striker. Let's move on. What do we have up next? Again, these names. Carolina. Kowalski. Kowalskiewicz. Anyways, Carolina versus Silvana Gomez-Juarez. Now, I bring up this fight 
not for Carolina, but for Silvana Gomez Juarez, which last time she fought, and you don't see this much in the women's division um, or women's division fights, but especially flyweight, she carries enough power. She throws with enough enough furiousness that she 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 two pieced this girl. And the crazy about the the craziest thing about the sequence or the uh, Savannah Gomez Suarez's Juarez last fight, she hit her with a hook. But the thing about the hook is. It was partially blocked. So it deflect the... Let's, let's see who her, her opponent actually was. Langna. It was a counter punch. It was a counter hook, which was absorbed some from the shoulder, but had enough power on it to where when she touched her chin, she's, she still put her out. Now, it, it wasn't a clean knockout knockout, but it was enough force to drop her, and the the following shots are what you know basically ended the fight in a TKO. Now the powers that Silvana Gomez Suarez carries, and this is going to be a striker striker fight. I think she's going to be able to get Carolina out of there. If not, um, being able to contend with her for at least the three rounds. Now. Will she go, will Silvana go the whole three rounds carrying that power? I guess that's something we're going to have to see. But if she is successful in touching Carolina, how much, how many of those punches can she actually eat and, and keep rolling? That, that would be something that I'll be looking forward in this fight. But I'm going to go with Silvana on this one. All right, let's move on to Matt Frivola versus Ottoman, Ottoman Azaitar. Now, Ottoman Azaitar, I was listening to the Anakin Florian podcast or the Anakin Florian show. And obviously, one of my, the reasons why I listened to that show, may have said this last episode, Ray Longo. Ray Longo is an old school dude who is fucking hilarious. And he likes to give it to you the raw way. And he made a comment about Ottoman Azaitar. And um, I guess there's a fight that fell through for whatever reason. Or this um, a fight that was supposed to happen against Frivola and Ottoman and didn't happen. And Ray Longo had a few words, <laughs> few words regarding Ottoman Azaitar. But Nonetheless, dude is hilarious. Say all that to say, this is kind of what got me interested in this fight a little bit more based off what Ray Longo had said, which, is mean, which means they've been looking forward to this fight for a while now. Now, let's check out Matt Favola, who believe I fights out of the Ray Longo, um, sorry, Sarah Longo school. So, Matt Frivola, currently 9-3, and three, has three subs, two knockouts, okay. 
the thing about Matt Frivola is he is a wrestler, and most guys from the Longo, you know, um, Sarah Longo crew, Sarah Longo fight team, they're mostly wrestlers, given their current champ in uh, Aljo, Aljamain Sterling. But let's get to Matt Frivola. So Matt Frivola is a wrestler. He's coming off a win against coming off a win against Valdez and lightweight division, which is a very packed division. He's coming off a loss, or after his last win against Valdez, he's coming off two losses to Armin Sarukian, who is one of the most elite wrestlers within the lightweight division. Striker two and Terrence McKinney, another devastating wrestler. So he has problems against wrestlers. He is a wrestler, but the higher grappling and transitional exchanges, it looks like he has an issue with it. This fight against Ottoman, uh, now I don't want to say the casual thing is, you know, if he gets him to the floor, maybe he has a chance. Um, Ottoman Azaitar looks like he carries a lot of power in his body uh, as far as the cut goes as far as uh, rehydration goes he comes into that ring looking like he's ready to do damage and against Matt Fervola who comes out swinging hard and may have some slow starts here and there but his last fight where he came out ready to kill again coming off two losses before his last fight um, you can tell it kind of gave him a fire under his ass Sorry, we were going to have a full-blown conversation about probably laundry from my neighbors. So I needed to close the uh, window. Now let's check out what we got next on the docket. Now to sum it up against... Matt Frivola and Ottoman Zaitar. Obviously, watching Matt's last fight against Valdez, it he did get caught. He was caught several times, and I don't want to say Matt Frivola is reckless, but if someone's skilled enough in the striker in Ottoman Zaitar. If someone is skilled enough to touch that chin as well, but be patient enough and disciplined enough not to exchange with you openly, kind of like Valdez did against Matt Frivola, I see Ottoman Azaitar actually walking away with this fight. So I am going to go with Ottoman Azaitar in this one, even though Ray Longo is, you know, I love Ray Longo, but I think Ottoman's going to pull this one off. So now let's get into our prelims. We got Andre, Andre Petroski versus Truman or Wellington Truman. Now, Armin Petroski or Andre Petroski is coming off a win against Nick Maximoff. Now, if you don't remember Nick Maximoff, he's one of my 
fighters that I, you know, I, w- I had some concerns about. A fighter that I liked. He's no longer in the UFC. And some of that reason may be because of Andre Petrovsky's uh, ability to finish him within the first round. So, Andre is a wrestler, uh, freestyle, and carries a lot of power. Very, very, very thick dude for that division, the middleweight division. And he is going against Wellington Truman. Now, Wellington Truman kind of sticks out for me a little bit because he is part of the uh, Glover Teixeira fight team. So he's been training with Glover and he's been training with possibly uh, Alex Pajeda as well. So, I mean, if you think there's a lot of um, city kickboxing guys on this card, there is, uh, you know, I guess a couple of Glover Teixeira's, you know, fight team there too. I don't think they're as deep as the city kickboxing crew. That's probably for sure. But let's get into who, who I believe will walk away in this fight. Who, who I believe will walk away the winner in this fight. So taking a look at Wellington Truman's record. Coming off two wins. <laughs> one, again, one win against Sam Alvey. And another win against Serkinov. I think his name is Misha Serkinov. Correct. Crazy thing is, I don't think Mika uh, is in the... I, I may be wrong. I don't know if he's in the UFC still. Anyways, so Truman is coming off two wins. One against Misha Serkinov, and the other against Sam Alvey. Two fin- or, uh, one sub of Serkinov, and a split decision against Sam Alvey. A split decision against first- Sam Alvey? Okay, well... I don't want to make that the main reason why I, I pick Andre Petrovsky, but if you are what it looks to be a striker, and maybe he does have some ground game that may help him against Andre, um, I'm going to go with Andre Petrovsky on this one. If the stand-up, if your stand-up gets you a split decision against Sam Alvey, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Petrovsky on this one. Now, another fight that I'm looking forward to is Dominique Reyes versus Ryan Spann. Now, this is Dominique Reyes' return fight from his loss against the current champion in... Uh, man, I, I I am a loss for names. Uh, Lately. But this is what we have the internet for. Yuri Prohaska. The current champ, the current light heavyweight champion in UFC is Yuri Prohaska. Dominique Reyes is returning off a loss, a devastating KO loss to Yuri. And I'm, if you're an MMA fan, I'm pretty sure you've seen that fight. Again, if you're not an MMA fan or you're just getting into MMA, please go watch Yuri Prohaska versus Dominique Reyes. It is probably one of the most entertaining fights in the UFC ever. 
ever, at some point in this fight, and I'm not saying at the same time, obviously, but at some point in this fight, Yuri gets knocked out, and obviously at some point in this fight, Dominique Graves gets knocked out. And we all know Yuri won. How is that? How, how is that? Go watch that fight if you haven't seen it. And now, also, we all know that Dominique Reyes lost to Jan Bohovic, Blahovic, which everyone thought was basically the homecoming for Dominique Reyes since he kind of, it was a close, to, for me at least, it was a close decision loss against John Jones, who obviously reigned over that division as long as he lasted there. But if we were going to talk about Ryan Spann versus Dominique Reyes, um, I don't know on this one. I don't know for several reasons. I don't know because Ryan Spann is coming off a loss and then a win. It, obviously, his last fight was a win. But I, I, I the part where I'm kind of lost here at is is Dominic Reyes better than he was before he left did the fight against John Jones kind of ring Dominic Reyes out now I believe most guys that fight John Jones um it's bad for their career because it seems like John Jones always takes a piece of them with him now, I don't have the stats here to tell you what careers look like after John Jones fights someone, but it's not good. And the only person that I can think of who is still on a pretty, uh, a pretty good run is um, Anthony Smith, who had a former fight with John Jones for the title. Getting back to Span versus Reyes, I believe Span carries the power. I believe Span carries the length. They're both tall as shit. 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and Span. Um, I think it's going to go with patience. I don't know if Ryan Span has the patience to deal with Dominic Reyes. And shit, I don't know if Dominic Reyes even has the patience anymore. Because and against Jan Blahovic, I don't think Reyes had patience then. I think Reyes could have won that fight if he wasn't so eager to return shots with Jan. And obviously we know the Polish power that Jan carries, but I think that's what really lost him that fight. And again, the fight against Yuri, Dominic Reyes was tapping Yuri. Dominic Reyes was giving Yuri the business. And again, at one point, knocked out Yuri Prochaska. I think it's the patience part that led Dominic Reyes to lose. He wanted to return shots. He wanted to basically get Yuri back. Now, for me, that is the X factor in if Ryan Spann can deal with Dominic Reyes or not. Is Ryan Spann, has he learned? Now, he just submitted Ian Kutalaba on his last fight. Can Ryan Spann have enough, enough discipline? to stand with Dominic Reyes. If they happen to stand and bang, 
I would like to think Ryan Spann carries enough power to take care of Dominique Reyes. That's not my pick, though. I, I don't even know if I, I want to make a pick on this one. Who do I want to see win? I would love to see Dominic Reyes get another win on his record, especially since he's coming off, I think, three losses. Let's, let's take a look at that. So Dominic Reyes is coming off three losses, all from champions or former champions. Or, so John Jones, Jan Blahovich, and Yuri Prohaska. I'm going to go with Dominique Reyes in this fight. Just giving those three individuals alone and l seeing how Dominique looked in those fights, I don't know if Ryan Spann has the, the versatility to deal with a Dominique Reyes. Now, I know Ryan Spann's nice on the ground, but Dominique Reyes' fights don't really hit the ground. And if Dominique is able to keep it on the feet, I think we're going to see him get another W in his, on his record. All right, let's move on to mm -mm. Brad Riddell versus Hanato Moicano. Now, Brad Riddell, another fighter from City Kickboxing. That's going to be our second City Kickboxing fight for the night. And he. He's coming against Anato Moicano, who is a, I don't know if I want to call him a submission specialist or just a all-around specialist, but let's take a look at their record. So Brad Riddell, 10 and 3, has five TKOs, or five KOs, um, has lost twice by submission. His last fight against Jalen Turner. He was subbed very. He was subbed very quickly. It was a, it was a good fight. Um, why it lasted? And lost long. Didn't last long at all. Jalen Turner came out there and subbed that boy quick as hell. So, if we're talking about ability on the ground for what submission specialists, uh, Hanato Moicano may have him there. Now, again, Brad Riddell is coming off two losses. His second, or his first loss, was against Rafael Fazev. Former training partner, former buddy. Uh, Rafael Fazev is that dude who, in, in the lightweight division, and I, he, he just came off a win of uh, Dos Anjos. So, we're talking about championship-level fighters here. Now, the the... the the cross here is that the, the cross um, reference, the degrees between these fighters are is this. Just to give you a little backstory. Um, Brad Riddell versus Rafael Fiziev. Brad Riddell loses. Rafael Fiziev versus um, Dos Anjos. Rafael Fiziev wins. Dos Anjos versus Hanato Moicano on short notice, albeit very, very short notice. Um, um, Dos Anjos wins. Dos Anjos wins brutally. Brutally. He, 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 excuse my language, but he beat the shit out of Hanato Moicano. The fight should have been st stopped, if I can remember. 
So that's the cross reference between these lightweight, these uh, the lightweight division between these fighters. Going back to Brad Riddell versus Hanano Moicano, who do I see winning? That's that's the big the bigger question here. Well, we have a striker against a jujitsu specialist, and I honestly believe Hanano Moicano is a dog. I don't want against uh, I don't want to go against Brad Riddell. Obviously, there's no money on this, but I don't want to bet against Brad Riddell. But his last couple of outings um, have been a little questionable. And there's always been a question of whether the other guys in the city, the city kickboxing squad can really listen to Eugene Behrman and take the direction as needed. Take direction kind of like Izzy is doing. Take direction like Volkanovski. Now, mind you, City Kickboxing isn't the main gym for Volkanovski, but if you look at the wins between Volkanovski and Israel Adesanya, compared to the rest of the squad in the City Kickboxing, the, the, man, the numbers are incredible as far as win-to-loss ratio, just between Alex Volkanovski and Israel Adesanya. Getting back to it. Don't want to bet it. I don't want to bet against Brad Riddell, but I'm going to go with Hanato Moicano on this one. If he's able to stand on the feet, I think Hanato can stand with him, can contest with Brad Riddell's power. But if it goes to the ground, let's look at the submissions real quick for Hanato Moicano. Oh. So currently 16 and 5, 16, 5, and 1. Uh, he. He has been TKO'd or KO'd three times. He, again, lost his last fight to Dos Anjos. Mm. Nine subs. He has nine wins by submission. And besides his last loss to Dos Anjos, he came off two sub victories. He has also lost to Rafael Fiziev, which is very interesting because it's TKO, just like Brad Riddell. Brad Riddell's TKO loss was, it was a head kick loss, which is kind of vicious because it stunned Brad Riddell and it, and it kind of locked him in place. Um, it seems like these guys are nicely matched. The biggest X factor here is the, 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 the size and the speed. Brad Riddell is 5'7". Hanato Moicano, I believe, is 5'11". That's, that's... The reach may be a factor as well. But the height is definitely an issue for Brad Riddell. So I'm going to go Hanato Moicano over Brad Riddell on this one. Eh, sorry. I love city kickboxing, but this time we're going we're, we're gonna to have to go a little differently. Now let's get in, let's start and get into our main event. Let's get into how the rest of the show, or at least I think this show may go. So we have, first up, we have Dan Hooker versus Claudio Poyes. Now, I love Dan Hooker because he is an action fighter, and his last couple of outs, 
I mean, I guess most people in the UFC are killers, but his last couple of outs are from the division's elite of the elite. Oh, man. Dan Hunkett's record. Oh, my God. There's so much red. There's so much red. Kind of kind of looks like a crime scene. Anyways, Dan Hooker, 21 and 12, 10, 10 wins by KO, 7 wins by submission. Now he's coming off two losses. One against Islam Makachev, who was the current lightweight champion. Current UFC lightweight champion. And Brandon, or excuse me, Arnold Allen, who is on his way to the top of the, what is that? The featherweight division? So Dan Hooker moved down his last fight. Um, try to see if he can get lucky in a different division. Or uh, luck is the wrong word. If he could put in work in another division. And he could not. He, he got worked by Arnold Allen. Now, Hooker has a nice run against Paul Felder. Iaquinta, James Vick, lost to uh, Edson Barboza, beat Gilbert Burns. So it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag for Dan Hooker. It seems like Dan Hooker doesn't spend much time on the ground unless, unless it's against someone who is very elite, given Islam, but seems to be very nice as far as um, stopping submissions or just getting back to his feet. If you're asking me, if you're saying it's Dan Hooker versus Gilbert Burns, I'm thinking Gilbert Burns is, 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 is pulling out the winner on that one. That's a good win on, on Dan Hooker. Now, Claudio Poyas seems to be a submission specialist. Currently 13-2. and two, uh, two KOs. Seven wins by submission. Let's take a look at his, his uh, record here. So off the back, we have two subs. One of Clay Guida. And I believe his name is Chris Grootsmacher. Can I am off the fly. Uh, that might sound horrible. Has a win against Jordan Levitt. So, Claudio Puyas is definitely on a run. Let's see how many, if he's on a spree in the UFC. Okay, so this is weird. Debuts UFC 2016 and is only 26 years old. This dude has been, he has been around for a while and he is coming to put in work. Let's see if he actually comes, um, let's see if he's actually able to put, it, put enough together to make a championship run. And that's the whole discussion now as far as do I think he beats Dan Hooker? Do I think Claudio Poyas beats Dan Hooker? Well, there's several factors here. And the, the, the most basic factor that I go to is ground versus stand-up. If someone is not able to keep the fight in their wheelhouse or keep the fight where it looks like they're most comfortable, which would be Claudio Poyas on the ground, if Dan Hooker is able to stop the takedowns, that's obviously a clear path to victory. 
And then the question would be, do we think Claudio Poyas has enough stand-up to contest with Dan Hooker? So let's actually break this down a little bit more. So Dan Hooker officially being a striker and Claudio Poyas being a grappler. Um, size and discrepancy, there's not much there. So power would be the to power and speed would be, be the only other factors that you would have to incorporate. Not the only other factors, but those are the next two that I go to. If Claudio Poyas is faster than Dan Hooker's power, um, could he slap on a submission? Could he do enough to get Dan Hooker to the ground in enough of a scramble to really put some pain on Dan Hooker? I'm going to say no. Personally, I think Dan Hooker, once he's able to... Once Dan Hooker is able to focus enough, listen enough, be disciplined enough, I know that's been an issue, especially in the Poirier fight. But I, I think Dan can walk away. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the love for city kickboxing at this point. I don't want to pick against everybody on the city kickboxing team. But Claudio Poyas is, is definitely on a tear. And Dan Hooker needs this win. Dan Hooker needs this win. I would hate to see the UFC drop Dan Hooker, but lately he has been on, uh, he's kind of evening out his record, if you know what I mean. So on this one, um, I am going to go with Dan Hooker. Maybe he has been putting in enough work to kind of change the focus of the discipline during the fight. And if he is, this should be a big win for him and what he can do with it. I I'll be honest with you. if. And this is probably why I'm kind of picking against Poyas. Who knows? It might be the fan in me. But I, who wants to see Dan Hooker lose? Who wants to see Dan Hooker leave? You can't think the UFC is going to keep him that much longer if he loses this fight and maybe a next one. Shit, he might get dropped after this fight. So that's not my main reason for picking Dan Hooker on this one. But I would love to see Dan Hooker walk away with a KO over Claudia Poyas. I mean, overall, I would love to see a great fight, but that's how I think it may go. I don't think it goes to the decision. I think Dan Hooker puts in that work. Let's go on to our next fight. Not much to say on this one. Never really been a Frankie Edgar fan. Um, never really been a Chris Gutierrez fan. Obviously watched both of their, you know, their fight history, but Frankie Edgar, being this is his last fight, this is the last hurrah, um, and given that he put such a pace on Cheeto Vera last time out, now obviously Cheeto Vera is not Chris Gutierrez, but Frankie Edgar still got something. Frankie Edgar ain't washed. I want to check out Chris Gutierrez' record real quick. Let's 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 just. Go, go through this real quick and see what the possible path of victory in my mind is. So, Chris Gutierrez is on a definite streak while in the UFC. Besides the ultimate fighter, 
He's been undefeated. There's one draw in there. But overall, his record is 18 and 3. Eight wins by KO and one win by sub. Frankie Edgar. Now let's go back real quick. Jesus. Frankie Edgar, 23 and 10 and 1. Six fours, uh, six fours. Six wins by TKO, four wins by sub. He's coming off two losses. Okay, let me repeat that. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that. He's coming off two vicious losses, two vicious TKO losses to killers in the Bantamweight division. Obviously, if you haven't seen the head kick from Cheeto Vera, devastating. And before that, which I don't know which is more, uh, what is the word here? Which is more vicious, the head kick from Cheeto or the knee from Corey Sanhagen? The knee is disgusting. The knee is vicious. It's like a flash knockout. It's like one of the greatest. It is one of the greatest knockouts of all times, for sure. San, Corey Sanhagen, knee to the face of Frankie Edgar. Now, before then, Frankie Edgar won against Pedro Munoz. Split decision win. Um, coming off a loss against... Chan Sung Young, I think that is Korean Zombie. Yes, that is Korean Zombie. And he was neighbor. He, he had a fight against Max Holloway for the title. Lost the fight. Won against Cub Swanson. Oh man, he has some fights against some of my man. He has a win against Yari Rodriguez, Jeremy Steve. So Frankie Edgar is that dude. And as wrestling is concerned, if he's able to get you on the ground, uh, able to zap some of that power, he wasn't able to do it to Cheeto. Even though he was winning a lot of the fight against Cheeto Vera, Cheeto was still able to put him out, which means the wrestling only mattered so much. Man, this should be a good fight. This should be a good fight overall, though. So we have a wrestler or wrestling slash boxing style in Frankie Edgar and a striker uh, in Chris Gutierrez. Now, Chris Gutierrez is known for leg kicks or his kicking ability. Um, again, the simplest path here is if Chris gets a little too comfortable with the leg kicks, uh, obviously Edgar can get a takedown. If Edgar can mix in the takedowns with the dirty boxing and the clinching, uh, there may be a path to victory there. Now, as far as age is concerned, I believe it's, what, like a seven-year? Oh, man, Frankie Edgar's 41. Jesus. It's a 10-year gap here. So if we're going to talk about power and speed, does Frankie Edgar carry any power and speed at the age of 41. Now, I don't mean period, obviously. I mean enough for Chris Gutierrez. 
that's a 10-year difference. Chris Gutierrez may be entering his prime if he's not in his prime yet. Given his record, he may be entering his prime. Um, do I want to see Frankie Edgar get knocked out viciously again? No. Do I think Frankie Edgar could win this fight? Yes. Do I think these new guys coming up just have these older guys number because there is so much tape on these older dudes because there's so much learned from these older dudes. Now, I believe Chris Gutierrez is a fan of Frank Yeager, like most new fighters are coming into the UFC of older fighters. But how much of the tape has he watched? How much of the tape has his coaches watched? Like, that's, that's a big part of not only this fight, but the age gap and the difference of history. Where one's history in Frankie Edgar um, can work out in his favor as far as experience, but also can work against him if Chris Gutierrez just did his research. And the last couple of times out in the Bantamweight division between Cheeto Vera and Corey Sanhagen, these dudes did their research and put it together in the ring and was able to get a knockout against fucking Frankie Edgar, a legend in Frankie Edgar. So with that being said, I do think Chris Gutierrez may pull off the win here. Um, I, think, I just think there's too much tape on Frankie Edgar. I think if Frankie Edgar doesn't come out with something new, if Frankie Edgar doesn't move differently, if Frankie Edgar hasn't switched up his timing, if Frankie Edgar hasn't changed up his focus on how he approaches the fight once that bell rings, I, I, says, I see Chris Gutierrez walking away with the victory here. How? I would hate to say KO, but giving the gameness of Frankie Edgar, I don't think he's going to shy away from possibly getting knocked out for his final outing at UFC 281. So, yes, I am going with Chris Gutierrez in this one. Next fight. My favorite. One of my favorites. If there was, like, a little closet of, like, favorite fighter, like, fight gear, Dustin Poirier would probably be, like, my the the first in the closet like with the floral the floral shirt and you know I fucking love Dustin Poirier first fight back or second fight against um man what is that guy's the the Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier's second fight against Conor McGregor I I probably woke up my neighbors because I I fucking I was yelling so loud from the knockout from the knockdown. Amen, Dustin. Thank you. I'm not saying I'm against Conor McGregor, but I, 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 wanted, I wanted Dustin to win that fight. And obviously the third fight is, I mean, it's said and done. That's why um, he hasn't been back since. But anyways, Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. Let's get into it. So Poirier, coming, al- coming off a loss to Charles Oliveira, who Charles Oliveira just lost to Islam. So Islam is at the top of that division now. 
And before then, it seemed like Dustin would always lose title fights. He did win a title fight against a different division. But actually, I may be wrong on that one. I believe it was the same division. I don't think Poirier has fought under him. Or Poirier has fought at a lower weight class. I think it's always been lightweight. But let's see. Okay, so Max Holloway moves up to lightweight to 10 for an interim title. Poirier beats him in a very, very good fight. Very good back and forth. Um, there's only a couple times I've seen Max Holloway get worked. That was, I think, for me the first time. Obviously, Max Holloway lost to Conor McGregor as well, if I'm right on that one. Um, but Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier is a beautiful fight. And we see Max Holloway just get kind of manhandled. But looking at Dustin Poirier's record, seeing who he's put away, seeing the back and forth, um, he is the, the, one of the most elite strikers in the, the top tier of that division. Given that Islam and Oliveira just happen to be so, uh, I don't want to keep using the word elite, but seem to be masters at their craft. Obviously, ground game-wise, Poirier is not there. Does Michael Chandler have enough ground game to contend with Poirier? I don't know. I don't know. Now, looking at Chandler's record and looking at Dustin Poirier's record while in the UFC, obviously Chandler has an extensive record outside the UFC as far as Bellator is concerned. but. Inside the UFC, UFC obviously a different beast, carries a different tier of athlete. Chandler hasn't had the same luck as he had in Bellator. Now, I think he's on a uh, two wins, two losses in the UFC. Michael Chandler currently sitting at 23-7, and seven, 11 wins by KO, and 7 wins by sub. Let's look at Dustin's record real quick. Dustin's record currently is 28 and 7, 15 wins by KO, 6 wins by sub. Now I'm not going to beat around the bush much, beat around the bush much here. Um I just told you earlier where my my allegiance lies and I honestly think Dustin Poirier is maybe second or third elite in that whole division as far as fighters are concerned in the light, lightweight division. I think Dustin wins this one. I think Michael Chandler likes to fight a certain way. We did see him switch it up a little bit against Tony Ferguson once Tony Ferguson started chipping him off. And obviously it worked out for Chandler because he varied up his attacks and he landed a obviously a, a head kick that no one saw coming, not even Michael Chandler, and beat Tony Ferguson. I see Michael Chandler not being able to be disciplined enough once Poirier starts tagging him. I don't think 
Michael Chandler walks out of there unscathed. And I think if Michael Chandler is able to touch, excuse me, I believe if Poirier is able to touch Michael Chandler as much as Tony Ferguson touched Michael Chandler, I think we may see Dustin Poirier go for another title. Do I like the fact that Dustin Poirier might fight again for another title? I don't. And I'm only saying this because I don't see Dustin Poirier. I'm not trying to get past Michael Chandler here because I don't see Chandler beating Islam either, which Chandler might be the best matchup stylistically for Islam. I don't see Dustin Poirier getting past Islam Makhlchev. But I do see him getting past Michael Chandler, especially if these dudes start exchanging early like Gainshi and Chandler did. And if you don't know, Poirier put away Gainshi in a very, back and, a very good back-and-forth fight, very beautiful back-and-forth fight. Poirier just wasn't giving it up, though. He wasn't going to let that fight slide uh, out of his hands. Now, I'd love to go down Poirier's illustrious record of just beating the, the shit out of dudes, but it's not needed. It, he's at the top of that division for a reason, and his last two wins over McGregor have given him enough star power to um, put him in a different light. Honestly, think that second fight against uh, McGregor, nobody really cared about Dustin Poirier, and they had McGregor as the favorite. Obviously, I didn't think McGregor was coming back with, uh, given his layoff. I don't think I didn't think he was coming back at an elite enough level to ten with Poirier, and in this same factor, I don't think Michael Chandler can either. Which means I honestly, I honestly think Chandler should fight, given that he loses. I'm not putting it on him but if he loses this fight Chandler should fight McGregor next that's how that's what I believe you want that money fight we don't want to see Dustin Poirier versus McGregor for a for I don't want to see Dustin McGregor versus uh McGregor for the fourth time I don't so Chandler versus McGregor on McGregor's return would actually be a, a spectacular thing to see so when it's all said and done for this particular fight I'm going to give it to Dustin Poirier, probably by TKO. All right, Carlos Barza versus Jean Wei Li. Let's get into it. Mm, almost time. All right. So, Jean Wei Li, one of my favorite women fighters. Um, Coming off a win against Joanna Jacek, coming off two losses, two title fight losses against Rose Namajunas, won the title from Jessica Andrade, defended the title against Joanna Jacek, which March 7th, 2020, uh, UFC 248. It was one of the best and worst cards of the, of the year. Given that right after that card, the pandemic kind of became a thing. And that fight against Ioana Yanjacek and Zhang Wei Li, where 
Ioana looks like the humpback of Notre Dame after that fight. Her face is so distorted. Her the, the hemato- I think it's a hematoma on her on her forehead is massive. Looked like she was wearing a like like a head prosthetic or fa- face uh like what is the back in the day in the 80s when they used to use practical effects like mask and makeup it looked like she was wearing a fake head on top of her head that's how bad john Wei lee beat the shit out of yuana yin jacek beautiful fight if you haven't seen it ufc 248 go check it out don't worry about whatever last fight is on that card don't don't watch it don't waste your time. But the second to last fight, John Wayne Lee, Joanna, watch that one. Do not watch that last fight on 248. You will not, you will not be entertained. <laughs> you will not be entertained. I don't want to get I don't want to get into it too much, but very disappointed in Yoel Romero in that in that main event. Very disappointed. I know people want to talk shit about Izzy, but that's not uh, Izzy's gonna be Izzy. But that was your Yoel Romero's chance at a title. You don't do what you do in a title. You don't do what you do what your uh, Yoel Romero did in a title fight. You just don't. And obviously, he was let go after he did that shit. He was released from the UFC. <laughs> now, moving on. Oh, let's get back to Carla versus John Wee Lee. Who do I see coming out on top on this one? Um, people sleeping on Carla. Stop. Mm, I- I'm still going to go with Jean Wei Lee on this one, but I'm not going to sleep on Carla. Carla has been in some dogfights and she can get dirty. She can get brutal. But Jean Wei Lee, I think just she's, there's a certain passion and a certain dedication when she fights and it is unmatched. It is unmatched. The fact that Ioana and Jacek lasted as long as she did in their first fight, it's, especially with the disfigurement crazy so john we lee but don't sleep on carla esparza she's the champ for a reason yeah it was a boring fight when she won the championship but she she she's the second time champ in this division for a reason now let's get into the mainstay here um not much to say about it but it's still going to be a banger. Oh, uh, it should be a banger. It should be a banger. Hopefully, we don't see the you know Adesanya versus Yoel Romero again. This should be a banger. Last fight, main card, main main fight of the night: Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pajeda. Most people like to say Pereira. I like to say Pajeda. Now, this fight. Said this in the last episode been looking forward to this fight for a couple years now people are talking about oh alex won alex knocked him out blah 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 kickboxing and also people are always also stating oh man it's kickboxing versus mma it has nothing to do one with the other you're right and you're wrong the win is the win the knockout is the knockout that will forever even izzy has said it will forever hang over Izzy's head and will forever be in his back of his mind. Now, given that may be one of the prime motivations for why Izzy is currently in his spot at middleweight as the middleweight king, but also given the return of Alex Perheta in the in the sense that he is 
looking for another fight, that these dudes will compete again, that they will be in the same ring again. What part of that, that motivation that was used to fuel Izzy Ford is the same part of that fuel that can hurt Izzy. That same part that, that he's possibly dwelled on this so long in some part of his mind, and no matter how much he's forgotten about it, that it's going to affect him once he steps into that octagon with Alex Pajeda. Now, I, I don't... I can say a couple of things here and there about the ability of Alex against the ability of Stylebender. Um, if we're talking about Adesanya's way to cover distance, stay at a distance, to move, uh, his speed, his power. And then we talk about Alex's power. We talk about Alex's IQ, how he pushes forward. I'm going to go with Izzy on this one. I think Izzy has, I, I think we're going to see Izzy wrestle on this one. If not even wrestle, I think we may see Izzy shoot just to change it up enough to keep Alex Pajeda on his toes. Even if Izzy just wants to carry this to the championship rounds and really zap the shit out of Alex Pajeda and then probably go on with the stand-up battle and hopefully by then he's zapped enough power out of him where Alex's hook doesn't even matter. Now, here's the other thing about Alex's hook. Yes, Alex's, Alex's hook knocks fools out, but those are the fighters that actually stand in front of Alex Pajeda enough to get knocked out by a hook, something as short range as a hook, or as far as, not short range, but close range as a hook. Now, Izzy's able to basically void Alex Pajeda's hook where does Alex win here at? Does he win in the counters? Does he win in the clinch? I don't know. I don't think we have enough fight tape or MMA fight tape on Alex to even begin to understand how he can contest with Israel Adesanya in an MMA match. I don't see it. Can he catch Izzy? Sure. It only takes one. We've seen the power. I've watched several tapes uh, or I've watched film on a lot of Alex Pajeda's fights and all it takes is one shot. I mean, buzzer beater type punches and you are done. I mean, we've seen, you've seen Izzy get knocked out. Do I think, do I think Pajeda can land a couple of those? Possibly, but it only takes one. And I don't, see him landing it in a significant way or, or if Izzy puts himself out of place to land. Like, I, I don't see it happening. Izzy is usually perfect. When, it, when in, in the matches that we've seen since he's gotten the title from Robert, we've seen him in almost perfect masterclasses. And I think that's what we're going to see in 281. Now, if Alex does lose, he's probably going to stick around, which means he's probably going to get a chance to get better, or he's probably going to move up a weight class. That's a big man. And then he can find his success there. 
But as far as 281 is concerned, as far as that main card is concerned, I think Israel Adesanya, even if by decision, wins against Alex Pajeda. So that's going to pretty much do it for our show. I am looking forward to the next two fight nights coming up. We got Derek Lewis versus uh, Sergey Spivak. And then after that, we have um, Thompson versus Holland, which is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Kevin Holland is going to be beautiful. Wonderboy is one of my favorites. And Kevin Holland is just very entertaining to watch. Um, as far as Derek Lewis and Spivak is concerned, I, now I know there's other fights on these cards and we'll get into them next week, but Derek Lewis needs to stop getting knocked out and maybe Spivak has been served up so he can stop losing because Derek Lewis is definitely a moneymaker for the UFC. He's gotta be, he's, he's gotta be probably love the dude. Anyways, this was a fun episode. Um, Try to keep these shorter and short. Well, not too short, but long enough. Uh, two hours. Uh, hopefully, we don't do another two-hour one unless we have two or three people on. But um, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you so much for joining this week. Again, if you haven't already, please follow, like, share, rate, review, all this good shit. Wherever you're listening to this at, please go in and just show us some love in any way possible any way possible. It is much appreciated. I'm Mike David, and this is going to wrap it up for episode five of The Commando. Until next week, episode six, I bid you adieu. See you then. Peace. Oh yeah, my, my, my one-liners, my tag. Um, What was it? If it's going to get done, how else does it get done? Or you're going to do it, how else does it get done? If you're going to do it, how else does it get done? I don't fuck it. Catch you guys next week. Peace.